Hi, I'm Peter Diamandis here with Dan Sullivan, and welcome to Exponential Wisdom. Dan, a pleasure to spend time with you, my friend, as always. Yes, indeed. So on this session of Exponential Wisdom, I'm excited actually to talk about and learn from you a subject that I first heard proposed by Jeff Bezos. Jeff was on stage being interviewed and the reporter asked Jeff, so Jeff, what do you think is going to change most in the next 10 years? And Jeff says, that's a good question, but a great question is what's not going to change in the next 10 years or 20 years? Jeff went on to say that from his perspective at Amazon, what's not going to change is people's desire for a lower and lower price and getting their product faster and faster. And so those two things of the lowest price and the fastest delivery has become the pillars of Amazon's belief. So I'd love, Dan, to have a little broader conversation about what do we think are the elements of being an entrepreneur or a human Mm -hmm. (laughs) that aren't going to change as exponential technology is coming Mm -hmm. in and changing everything in our lives. Well, one thing, you and I have approached technology over the last 40 years, at least last 40 years, but we've kind of approached it from different directions because I don't have your medical background and I didn't have the infrastructure and networks of scientists and technologists that you did. I came up through theater, actually. That was my first love in life, and I was headed for Broadway. And then I learned that you had to join a union, and that was a killer for me right off the bat. And quite frankly, I have really good theater skills, but it's not my passion. And that what I would call reality-based education is really my passion. And then gradually, I got into the entrepreneurial world and discovered that that was the best individuals who would take an idea and immediately test it out. And it was a perfect learning environment. You were just here for your strategic coach workshop, and you could see in the room how fast people were taking things from the idea stage and immediately putting it into the action stage. But the one thing that I think is very, very constant, because we're into an exponential world, and Very interestingly, this exponential world has only existed for a little bit more than 200 years, basically starts in Great Britain, and it's the first time that you actually have a multiplier technology that actually allows people to get multiplier results without stealing. Hmm. The real change that has changed most in our world, that it's possible to be a billionaire and a millionaire without having stolen it, As a matter of fact, it's just the reverse that actually you become a billionaire and a millionaire by being incredibly useful to the most number of people on the planet. And all your friends that you actually know from the inside, all those individuals, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, the Google guys and everything else, why they are billionaires is because they have created enormous value for billions of people. And that's your formula for becoming a billionaire. Yeah, the best way to help become a billionaire is help a billion people. Yeah. Yes. And the constant here that I would say that I'm seeing that regardless of the technological change, it's always courageous entrepreneurs who actually make new technologies practical in the marketplace. The stories that you did in bold and looking at the backgrounds of six individuals and the characteristics that made them extraordinary breakthrough entrepreneurs, the number one thing that they have is that they put 
their entire fortune and their reputation and everything on the line. And it was the individual actually going out into the marketplace, taking a huge risk. And then the technology became practical for a marketplace. And it's not until a technology or a scientific principle becomes practically useful in people's lives to make things faster or easier or cheaper or just get a bigger result. That's a constant that will be even more true 25, 50 years in the future than it is today. As a matter of fact, your great love of space is going to be done by private individuals, not by governments, and that's a huge risk. So that's a constant. You can talk all you want about technology, but you have to look at where it actually gets introduced and who does the introducing. And the constant is it's always a risk-taking entrepreneur with a big vision. So I'm going to, as we have this conversation, I'm going to challenge you. And one of the questions, of course, is can an individual powered by AI and powered by robotics do that? So I guess the question is, it's always still an individual, at least in the near term, who's initiating this and the tools that they have. I guess the tool you're referring to in the 1800s was a steam engine yes. that increased productivity and multiplied people's capabilities. And I guess it's going to be people using these tools to create more and more capabilities, whether the modern day steam engine is going to be AI or robotics or you know machine learning, whatever it might be. The thing is that that particular activity of individuals using what I would call super-empowering tools, networks and systems, first of all, is becoming more widespread, and it starts in certain areas, and the California area especially, primarily, you know, the San Francisco area has been almost like the volcano that keeps pouring out innovations, not only innovations, but the capabilities for innovating is really what I see happening. But because it's all electronic and it goes around the world, now startups, literally new inventions and new capabilities are all around the world. So on the one hand, it's becoming more widespread, but it's also becoming more unpredictable because you don't know the next big one. Uber took everybody by surprise. You know, I followed technology and I never saw Uber coming. Yet it has not only changed transportation, but the very principle that Uber says, let's just have a direct relationship between a provider of a service and the consumer and let's do that digitally and not have it go through layers of human beings where it can get distorted and there's there could be corruption, there could be favoritism. I have a thing called Uber University that I do, mm -hmm. Peter, and that is that every Uber ride that I take, I ask the person the story. First of all, out of 50 rides, 49 of them were immigrants to the United States or to Canada. So it's very interesting that the main users of, of Uber as an entrepreneurial opportunity actually are people not born in the native country, and they come over, and this is a huge opportunity for them. But I ask them their experience with Uber as being Uber drivers, and I know there's a lot of negative news about that, but I've never met a driver who didn't think it was the greatest deal that they could possibly have, and it was the freedom. The number one thing is that they have freedom of time, they have freedom of money, they have freedom of relationship, 
And this freedom allows them to support the purpose that they have in life of getting started in a new country, growing their family. So that's a great point, right? It's another constant I think is not going to change over the next decades ahead is a individual's desire for freedom. Yes. Freedom to do what you want. I was just looking up here because I'm trying to keep up with you on these ideas. And it hit me as you were talking that Tony Robbins talks about the six basic human needs. Just to list them, if people haven't heard them, mm-hmm. Tony gives a great talk on this, but he says certainty, assurance, you can avoid pain and gain pleasure. Certainty is one. And then uncertainty or variety is another. People's need for variety, for continuous change stimulus, significance, a need to feel unique, important, special, connection or love, a strong feeling of connecting with people and feeling loved, the need for growth an expansion of capacity, capabilities, and then contribution, a sense of service and focus. And so I think maybe those mm-hmm. those needs aren't going to change. I think people's need for certainty, variety, significance, connection, growth, and contribution. And then I see freedom as another one there. Mm-hmm. I think those are points that are not going to change. Yeah, but what people don't realize is that while those things are staying constant, the forms in which they express themselves are continually changing. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, we have a lot of talk about family life. You know, I was born in the States. I live in Canada, but we do business in the UK. And what you see is that humans have an ability if we treat the six, these are kind of like motivators, constant motivators. The human needs, right? Yeah, is that the way that young people, let's say in their 20s in the year 2016, are actually arranging those things in their life to satisfy their needs are very different than when I was 16 years old in 1960. First of all, just the conditions of society are very different. But if you say that regardless of what the circumstances are in a society, people are going to try to construct their lives using these six building blocks, then it makes it more understandable that when people are doing very odd behavior that strikes you as very odd behavior in society, you have to go deeper and say, well, if I was their age, how would I be doing it? I know it's not the way I did it when I was their age, but if I was that age right now, I would do it totally differently. And, you know, a lot of it really has to do, Peter, I mean, one of the big ones is just how do you make a living in today's society? So just to contrast, when I was 18, I grew up in northern Ohio, farm country, but the big three were all within 25 years. So you had Chrysler, you had Ford, you had General Motors. And the big dream of so many of my classmates, the men in the class, was that they would graduate and get a job on the line at GM. Yeah. And people said, gee, that's terrible. I said, no, it was a sweet deal. This is 1962. And if you join GM at age 18, within five years, you could buy a house and GM would partially finance it. By the time you were 25, you would be married. By the time you were 30, you had three children. And GM provided tremendous benefits. And one of the biggest benefits is that you were guaranteed a job till 65, and they would do your career planning for you. They would give you full benefits along with the unions. 
people look back and they say, boy, that was boring back there. And I said, believe me, Americans have never had a sweeter deal than between 1945 and 1970, but it doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. So an 18-year-old today is looking out, and they're not even sure college is worth it. Yep. We had no doubt college was worth it. They don't really know whether getting a job is even worth it. So there's a great deal number of uncertainties that 18-year-olds have today, but they're still playing with the same set of cards that people have played throughout history, those six human needs. They want connection, they want freedom, they want certainty, they want variety, they want all these things, but you cannot make a judgment how they're doing it because they have to deal with a whole different set of circumstances that you did. So those things are going to remain constant the need for human connection, but how we get it mm -hmm. used to be obviously at the local hangout in your town. And now connection comes from Facebook or Snapchat mm -hmm. or, you know, Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, where we're feeling connected digitally. You talked about something while we were sort of teeing up this idea that I found fascinating is the, again, what's not going to change. The flip side of that is what are stabilizing factors. You talked about religion and family. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah. So the way I look at it, and unlike yourself, Peter, I'm the total opposite of you. I'm a complete news junkie. I probably spend two hours a day online primarily, and I'm reading news, and I'm not responding to what the producers of the news want me to feel about this. I'm just taking it in as interesting examples because about 20 years ago, I created a structure that said that there's three basic stabilizing structures in the world, which are family, religion, and politics, government belonging to a, a government, and they stabilize life. The purpose of family, the basis of religion, is actually to give people an identity that shields them from unmanageable change, okay? And if you think about the six things that we're talking that Tony put together plus freedom, is that we can think globally, but we actually operate locally. Mm -hmm. You go to Dubai, and that's an experience, but that night you're on a red eye because you want to come home to your family. I take red eyes a lot simply so I can be home at dinner time and then make it to Toronto the next morning to be at coach. <laughs> you're right, my family, my kids. Well, that's a stabilizer and that the more you are globalized, the more you have to be localized with that stabilizer. As I was talking about yesterday, Americans have a very interesting, and this is unique in the world, it's documented with all sorts of research that Americans, in spite of being the most advanced country technologically, economically, you know, American culture rules the world, nevertheless have the highest percentage of belief in a personal relationship with a supreme being, God, whatever you want to do it. And it's not a religious thing. It's not a matter of belonging to a denomination or a particular thing. It's just a connection with something really bigger that I call transcendence. This is a stabilizer for them. When things get overwhelming, they've got this sort of outside reference points. But what they find is that religious attendance in the U.S. is at all times high compared historically. At the time of the founding of the country, they know from church records that people didn't go to church back then. Interesting. It's only when people are put into strange conditions where they have no community 
that they start looking for a community where there's common values and they can meet each other. Or when it's stressful, like you find out you've got mm. a terminal disease or you're losing your job and you need, yeah. you're calling for a higher help. So I think you're right. When things become unpredictable and stressful, you're looking for some foundation yeah. and religion, whether you believe in religion or not, becomes sort of the yeah. stabilizing force, an opiate, if you would. I can predict this because I've had a 25-year experience with it, that once Abundance 360 moves to five years and 10 years and 15 years, you're going to find that people report that this is one of the most valuable communities that stabilizes things in their life, that regardless of all the new things that appear during the year, they get to come to Los Angeles every January, meet with people that they recognize, that they've stayed in communication with, so you are essentially creating a very unique, stabilizing community that allows people, nevertheless, to entertain what I call the three biggest accelerators. So the three stabilizers are family, religion, and politics. And I hear all the complaints about politics and everything, but people don't understand the fundamental reason for politics fundamentally really good politics and it's representative government politics that's the only good politics is representative politics the u.s has a forum canada has a forum the uk has a forum but it's representative people can make their voices known and they have representatives but the most crucial thing you want to be able to have is to have change economic change technological change scientific change be okay with society and have people be able to adjust to this without violence. And if you look at the news, there's just enormous areas. The whole Middle East is the way it is because they can't entertain the stuff that you're exporting to the Middle East right now. <laughs> that stuff just unbalances their society so badly that they can only respond with violence. So I'm a great believer in politics as a stabilizing structure because you can really get angry at the other side, but just don't throw a punch. Just don't throw a punch. Don't resort to violence. So your point's a really important one. And the realization for any entrepreneur here is that human nature is to want to have stability. We as humans like waking up in the morning and knowing that the world is the same as it was the night before that it's I still have my job, I still have my home, the rules I played by are still the rules I'm playing by, my beliefs are still the same. And when things are changing at an extraordinary rate and it's destabilizing, that makes people feel very nervous. Or the other thing that causes change and is when something is so much better as an experience that it saves me time and money and gives me more pleasure. Even then, it can't just be twice as good it needs to be 10 times as good. And yeah. so like Uber is, we use this as an example common in our exponentialism conversations. It's so much better yeah. than people start, you know, I will Uber to go out to dinner versus drive. So I don't have to have the extra hassle of finding a parking spot. And I don't mind spending the five bucks extra on a UberX. My feelings when the driverless cars come, people are going to be amazed at the amount of their time and effort and worry that was previously tied up with owning a car 
and having to worry about all the aspects of something that they only spend about 3% of their time actually using. So the punchline is that religion and government is a stabilizing factor. And family. Uh, yeah. And family. And so those things are not going to go away. In fact, one of the things to think about is as the rate of change increases, and one of the things mm -hmm. I speak about constantly in Abundance 360 and in our mm -hmm. conversations is that the only constant is change and the rate of change is increasing. Yeah. So as the technological world starts to really increase the pace of change where new capabilities and new kinds of businesses and new kinds of experiences are coming online every day, I wonder whether that increased rate of change might actually lead to a hyper-religiosity. Yeah, I see that happening, and you can see historical attendance or membership. It's actually on the increase around the world that actually mirrors the technological curve. The more the technological curve goes up this way, the more people are desirous of a thing. But the thing is that people think about this as religious organizations that have always lasted, or they think they've always lasted. But in fact, there is a constant creation of new religious organizations. As a matter of fact, the Internal Revenue Service in the United States can tell you that about three new religions in the United States get created every seven days. Peter, I mean, this is really your future. I mean, is really <laughs> you get to keep all the money, but you don't have to pay taxes on it for for everything. You're, well, you, know. you know, it's interesting because you joke about it, but the fact is, people have talked about the singularity oh, yeah. as sort of rapture for the nerds, and there is a sense that there are religious overtones to technology in the following sense. If you know, you talk about the notion that omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence are sort of the descriptors, if you would, of a deity and, you know, being able to know anything you want and be anywhere. And I mean, these are things that technology give us, you know, you can sort of periscope in or beam in and be any place on the planet and you can know anything on Google these days. So we are getting in one sense, and I don't mean to, to make this religious, but we're getting godlike with a small g powers mm -hmm. that would have been described that way just a hundred years ago yeah. and would have been magical for longer than that. The famous Arthur C. Clarke, who was one of my great boyhood heroes, was the 2001, the 1968 film was an Arthur C. Clarke book, but his statement that any sufficiently advanced technology at a certain point is indistinguishable from magic. We walk around with magic in our pockets today with your iPhone. And I mean, what we're doing right now, I'm looking at you from 3,000 miles away. We're being recorded in two studios. This is magic compared to what the experience was for most of human history. We're indulging in magic and virtually your entire world. If you go to Abundance 360 or you just read all your reports from the front lines, virtually everything that you're reporting at an earlier stage of humanity would have been considered totally magical. And one of the places that is creating some of the most magical breakthroughs is a company called Google that we all know mm -hmm. and use well. Mm -hmm. And I've had a chance to spend a good amount of time recently with an amazing individual, Astro Teller. Astro is the head of Google's R&D facility. It used to be called Google X. 
Now, as Google's become Alphabet, it's known just as X, the letter X. Mm. And I think a fun next conversation for us would be what I've learned from Astro about creating moonshots and about this whole field of rapid experimentation and the notion that if you want to be creating new products and services and experiences and so forth that are useful and valuable to society, the most important thing you can do is experiment and rapidly experiment. Mm -hmm. And if you're up for it, Dan, I'd love to Mm -hmm. share what I've learned and hear your thoughts and how you think about this in our next podcast. I just want to complete the model for everybody because we put all the emphasis on the three stabilizers. So if you think of them as a vertical, they're going up one side of a square. Across the top of the square are three accelerators. One is economics, the next one is technology, and the third one is science. And these accelerate because they're the three things that actually build on previous skills, and they don't have to be reinvented every generation. Even we're building on things. So to use America, the United States as an example, the U.S. is the number one in all three of those with just the combined brain power and the amount of dollars that are devoted to it and the interaction in the economic world, in the technological world, and in the scientific world, and they all mix with each other. They cross-reference each other. So the more that those three accelerators are changing society, the more the necessity for the stabilizers on the left-hand side. And if you draw lines that go vertical from economics and technology science downward and you draw the stabilizers across, you have intersection points between the stabilizers, and these are conflicts in society. And if you had that model and looked at the daily news, you'd be able to explain every one of the clashes that's happening between science and religion, between economics and the family, between politics and technology. I mean, you'd be able to totally understand what's happening in the daily news. And then you should be running for president, Dan, because... (laughs) Well, there's a problem of the pay cut that I would have to take. Uh, That's another conversation, politics. Anyway, Dan, a pleasure to spend time with you. Again, let's jump into this field of experimentation and how amazing companies like Google, Airbnb, Uber, Amazon, how they iterate, experiment, and create new products and services. I, I love the conversation and would love your input on it. Thank you very much, Peter. Always a joy. Always a joy.